Hey everybody, it's Rob Liefeld and welcome to Look, It's Another Podcast. Uh, no, this is still Rob's Observations, even though I've, I've, I've debated changing the name of the podcast to Look, It's a Podcast. Or Look, It's Another Podcast. Or maybe even Look, Up in the Sky, It's a Podcast. Anyway, for now, we are still Rob Observations. We are doing some Rob Observing today. Um, yeah, my name's in the title. How weird. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, for those of you, uh, I did the Rob Observations, uh, I did Rob Observations articles for Wizard Magazine. They had an entertainment, uh, they, they, it was called Entertainment Retailing. Uh, and it was their big retail magazine. And I wrote uh, monthly columns in there. I did a couple uh, for some uh, comic book fan clubs that I was a part of uh, back in the day where you had to mail your, you know, observations. And I may have mentioned this, so forgive me if I'm covering it again, but that's uh, where this all started. I, I, I've been, so I've basically been doing something with raw observations since I was 16 years old. Because again, if you wanted to, if there was a hundred members in the fan club, the comic book fan club, you did a hundred, you wrote up your column, did a page, two pages, you made a hundred Xeroxes, mailed it to the central mailer, they compiled it, sent it to you, blah, blah, blah. If I've, again, if I've covered this, forgive me. Then later on, I did raw observations as a, uh, as, as, as articles on a monthly basis in a wizard magazine. And then I did them on a uh, website and, and now I have a podcast and, and I always appreciate you guys hanging out with me. Uh, today we're going to try and maybe, maybe we're going to hit two topics. I'm not sure. Uh, I do need to cover, uh, uh, another company that was making a ton of waves in the nineties. The nineties is rich with stories and environments and characters. And I'm not talking about the comic book characters. I'm talking about the, the creators. We are the characters. We are the crazies. Um, we are going to discuss Valiant Comics and uh, the eventual marriage that that Image Comics and or a faction of Image Comics and um, and 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 Valiant had called Deathmate. And uh, so anyway, Valiant Comics had 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 arrived right around or right before Image Comics arrived, and they were the brainchild of Jim Shooter, who had. Uh, Guided, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, I believe Marvel's golden age was under Jim Shooter. Under Jim Shooter, he unleashed Frank Miller, Walt Simonson, John Byrne. And what I mean by that is all those guys were pencilers and he made them all into, gave them their dreams of being writer, artist, artist, writer, whatever you want. It was a big uh, sort of uh, uh, inspiration to me and all the guys in my generation because I saw Frank Miller go to being the penciler of Daredevil to be the guy who one day I opened it up and he was writing and drawing Daredevil and it was never better. And John Byrne had a falling out on the X-Men which caused him to leave and then he went and wrote and drew five years worth of Fantastic Four and in my you know, life now, uh, my 50 plus years on planet Earth, there's been two great epic runs on the Fantastic Four. One is by Stanley and Jack Kirby and the other is by John Byrne. And John Byrne was clearly inspired by what they did, did a lot of sequels, uh, 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 continuations, but did them with style, panache, uh, original twists and turns. It was, and, and the book looked phenomenal. Walt Simonson came on and blew the doors off Thor after Thor had become very stagnant. I mean, it was really losing ground. And he energized it and did another like three, three and a half year run that just 
again, we've talked about when you do a run, you do a substantial run, it ingrains into the, the fans. It, 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 it creates loyalty, strong memories. Uh, even nowadays, you would say nostalgia. My peer group and I would do the same thing with Spider-Man, New Mutants, X-Force, X-Men, you know, uh, the, 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 the stuff that, that in, you know, really created that bond with us and you guys who were reading and following the comics in the same way that Byrne and Miller and Simonson bonded with us. Under Jim Shooter, who maybe have, he maybe he went on to become a crazy man post-Secret Wars. But uh, today I'll tell you about the time I, I you know, spent some time with him uh, in, in talking about he and I maybe doing something because he was by far and away my favorite writer. I was revisiting an interview that John Byrne had done with the Comics Journal in 1980 when John Byrne, I, I've referenced this interview before, it is the most like takedown interview any talent has done concerning other talent. He, uh, John Byrne, at the peak of his powers, X-Men is the number one book. He's now going to do Captain America. He's been doing long stints on the Avengers and the Fantastic Four as just an artist. This is before he would take over uh, as the writer and the artist on the Fantastic Four. But he did a couple of story arcs that people really loved. Maybe maybe eight issues prior to then, from, from 78 to 80. But then like from 1980 on, through like 1984, 85, he he does five years, five years on the Fantastic Four. It's 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 incredible the amount of time he puts into this book, and and the results are spectacular. But Jim Shooter, kind of you know, if 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 Todd McFarlane said that about me, you know, let the bucking Bronco buck. Well, Jim Shooter let a whole bunch of Broncos buck with Frank Miller and Walt Simonson and George and John Byrne, and he he reaped the harvest, man. He th those books are classics. They're evergreen. They're still um, getting reprinted on a regular basis. They are the modern classics. And again, so somebody's got to unleash those guys. Somebody's got to okay those. Jim could have gone, no, you know, Frank, you, you work with uh, Roger McKenzie. You could continue on Daredevil instead of saying, okay, we'll give it to you. Walt Simonson, okay, we'll give Thor all, all the way over to you. Um, also, you know, not only did he unleash John Byrne on, on Fantastic Four for five years, you know, John did a book called Alpha Flight. He, uh, uh, characters he created inside of the X-Men, Jim Shooter let him rip and gave him his own series. And, and, and literally John was, you know, two books a month, every month for four to five years for Marvel comics. And so Shooter is now starting his own company. He has been out of comics for a while. Uh, and now he is going to be a part of this new valiant enterprise, this new valiant comic book label that is uh, based on a lot of his, you know, his vision as a writer. He's a great writer. In this interview that I am talking about with John Byrne, John Byrne says at the peak of his powers, at the top of John Byrne's popularity, when he uh, literally in this interview I'm talking about where he takes down Starlin, he, he has a slight of Jim Starlin, a slight of Marv Wolfman, a slight of George Perez. He slights everybody, a slight of Bill Mantlo. John Byrne leaves no one unscathed. But when it comes to Jim Shooter, he goes, I'd work with him again. The stories that I drew under him were really strong. Jim's a really good writer. Oh, he takes down Claremont too. But the only two guys he praises in the entire interview are uh, Frank Miller and Jim Shooter. He says, Jim Shooter's a great, solid writer. I would concur. Jim is my favorite Avengers writer. He may be, you know, my favorite writer at Marvel, period. The Avengers that he did are just astounding. They never forget that they are balls to the wall action comics but they are just full of 
consequences and characterizations that were kind of out of the norm. Like Wonder Man, who's as powerful as Superman, but he's been brought back from the dead, is terrified of dying. So you have a guy, who you could, you could drop a building on Wonder Man, and he's, you know, likely to walk away from it based on his strength and his experience, but he is haunted by the fact that he has died once before and early on in his career, and now having been resurrected, all he thinks about are, can, could he die again? He's, he, he deals with uh, a heavy dose of fear. This is the kind of stuff that, that Jim Shooter was great at. So he is now the kind of the head writer constructing this new label called Valiant. And uh, Valiant had, uh, out of the gate, they had Exo Man of War. Uh, they had, um, uh, <laughs> they, they, they took on some old uh, gold key properties. Magnus, Robot Fighter, and uh, was, was one of their early launches as well. Kind of a new... Uh, a new spin on that, and then they had kind of a, uh, a you know, I'm, I'm I'm forgetting it right now. A young uh, mutants comic book. It'll it'll come to me eventually. That that was, uh, you know, young kids with superpowers, and that did very well for them. They did Rye, uh, they did uh, Archer and Armstrong, and they did Bloodshot, and and some others I'm I'm leaving out. But but the you know, I'm really kind of um, failing to name one of their books, but again, Exo, Magnus, these are the books that, that really um, had become, uh, in, in the lore of Valiant, those became the, the bright, shining stars. Um, I, and this other one is pure Jim Shooter. Uh, and, and, you know, and then they did, uh, they did a crossover called Unity. They did a crossover called Unity. And, 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 uh, Here's the deal with Valiant. It, they were seen as the uh, they were seen as the the reading person's comic book company. Image the way that Valiant fans would say is Image Comics were kind of big dumb action, and and Unity um, uh, was was like I mean uh, Valiant was was like the smart company with the good stories. If you wanted good stories, you know you went you went to. Uh, you, you you sought out Valiant Comics because again they were created by a writer and and Jim uh, valued writers above all and I've never really considered how we kind of messed up that entire um, you know th th they launched they they launched their comic book empire and 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 suddenly Image came and and, and legitimately we legitimately took a ton of their mojo away I think they were a young you know uh, 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 burgeoning uh, you know, label and they were, they were trying to, you know, make their ground. And, and, and I know that they were founded in the late eighties, early nineties. And, uh, and, and the thing is that, uh, you know, when, when Valiant hit, it was Magnus Robot Fighter was the absolute first. It was a reboot of a, of a comic that, I mean, goes back to the sixties that, that from a label called Gold Key Comics. When I was a kid, Gold Key Comics was another manufacturer, like Archie Marvel, DC Comics, and they put out Lost in Space, and they put out like a lot of, lot of, lot of adaptations of TV shows and movies. But among their line was Turok, the Dinosaur Hunter, and uh, and and Magnus, Robot Fighter, Solar, Man of the Atom. There's there's one I'm missing, and Harbinger, Harbinger. That's the one, Harbinger with the young kids with the superpowers. So they had all. Uh, they had launched in '91, okay, and then and then we land in uh, 
we land in 92 and and take all the juice and and take all the you know all the headlines away because image comics was 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 ridiculous we were ridiculously successful and uh but the one thing i'm going to tell you about the valiant comics one of the reasons they emphasized oh these are the well-written comics they they had a lot of panels and a lot of small panels and i'm going to get to that in a little while they were not artistically driven they had some nice covers i guess but they were very fundamentally boring comic books the um everything was shot from very far away and when i mean shot i mean tons and tons of what you call medium shots establishing shots they didn't go in for a lot of close-ups and i would say heavy on the grid six panel grids all the stuff that we broke out of at marvel when we were rising you know jim shooter is removed from marvel in 1987 and uh he had a great run probably seven years there top of the you know seven eight years but then tom defalco lets the artists run the asylum and we did and we, i think we did a good job we've you know covered how we pushed the envelopes we wanted to make bigger bolder visuals we wanted to um break out of the mold that was kind of before us and so much of what we were competing with as guys at image because i mean there's only seven of us and there's 30 marvel comics and, and, and there's a bunch of guys who are doing grids, four-panel grids, six-panel grids. You know, it's like six TV screens equal size on your page if you don't read comics. That's how it is. Uh, four panels or four TV size screens on your, you know, four equal size boxes, two on the top, two on the bottom. If it's a six-panel grid, it's two, two, two. If it's a four-panel grid, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it can be any, any, any juxtaposition of those panels but you're going to get you know an eight panel grid out of it and uh you know or a nine panel three across three across three across um it was crazy the grids were in my mind holding comics back we came in and they would be like well you know you're not supposed to be breaking the panel borders and todd and i would joke that no we're going to break more panel borders this this head's going to break out of this frame and this fist is going to pit punch out of this um, frame up to the right and lead your eye into the next panel. I mean, we really uh, uh, did, did the most, you know, you're going to get a figure, a giant figure standing there posing, looking cool is going to be one panel to the side of the page. And then there's going to be, you know, cascading panels to the net, you know, uh, uh, to, to, to the to the right of that figure that's standing to the left of the page, that giant figure that you can't take your eyes off of, but you're going to because you're going to want to get through the story and then maybe big giant heads and big figures jumping out of you. I mean, we, again, I know I was really influenced by the way manga and anime were affecting me and my work. And I think we all kind of started influencing each other and passing down all of our different, um, um, you know, stylistic tendencies. But in the meantime, while we're doing this and we're busting out making bigger, better, I mean, this is the summer of X-Force that 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 valiant launches so jim lee and rob liefeld and todd mcfarlane are flexing big big splashy images fun action and valiant is launching and and quietly moving a decent amount of copies and you know they're noticed they're they're getting awards from diamond publisher of the year new publisher of the year but i remember just putting a lot of the books back i, I wasn't as into them and they were by a bunch of guys who were um, when we got into Marvel, this is being polite. I'm not trying to throw mud here. I just, there was a bunch of guys who were past their prime. They weren't booking the same amount of gigs at Marvel that they were maybe 10 years prior. And I'm talking about guys like Don Perlin and, and, uh, and, and, and some guys like Bob Hall, 
um, Bob Layton. These are the guys that are doing a lot of the comics work and the polishing and the finishing over at Valiant. And uh, and and everything is six-panel, four-panel grids, completely anti-image comics. That's why anti-image comics, that's what Valiant was. And it was story-driven. It was character-driven. This is what you heard, okay? And the people who love those comics, they love those comics. I don't have any comment on those comics. I didn't read them. I can't. I can only tell you that to my basic... I test, I put them back, I wasn't buying them, but I was aware of them, and they were doing well, and they had a fan base. And, and you know, it's it's important that you acknowledge your competitors. They were competitors in the field, but it they weren't doing anything that really got our notice. For me, until Bloodshot. So I've got Youngblood, Youngblood's coming out, it's, I think, got probably three issues out, and I see all these ads, and Barry Windsor Smith, the great Barry Windsor Smith of, you know, Conan and Wolverine fame, has drawn this killer out of this guy all chalk white with a red mark on his chest and he's got kind of uh you know uh, uh khakis and, and a vest and, and and ammo and guns blazing and it says bloodshot and i was like wow this is cool I, this visual alone gets me bloodshot it's a great name and uh you know i had never talked to anybody over at valiant i think i politely had you know met Steve Mazarski, who was the money behind Jim Shooter. Now, Steve Mazarski, uh, I think he was the publisher, and he and, and I think he basically owned Valiant. He had come from the entertainment world, and I think he had gotten these Marks Magnus and these comic book marks. I don't, I don't know how they fell into his hands. That's, that's not my story to tell. But he showed up with Jim Shooter at the helm, and that was enough to get you recognized because of all of Jim Shooter's accomplishments. Again, Secret Wars, which Jim had done with Mike Zek and John Beatty, Huge success, huge success, and 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 I think it underscored for Jim Shooter that he knew exactly what he was doing at all times because it was a weirdo uh, toy launch. And as we've covered on a dedicated Secret Wars podcast, Secret Wars was created to sell toys, and the only thing that sold out of Secret Wars was the comic book, which went on to become the best-selling comic book of its age. Okay, and changed the game in comics, and definitely changed the game for Jim Shooter, who like then understood the power of crossovers and tie-ins and would then shape Marvel based on that success in from 1984 to 1985. And uh, and again, it was kind of the, the next chapter in, in what he was doing was was orchestrating these giant tie-ins and events. And that, that really, be, you know, went on to define the Marvel comics of the next five, six years. I mean, when he left, they picked up, they carried on, the, 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 the formula worked. Under Tom DeFalco, you'd see, you know, uh, Atlantis Attacks. You know, you'd see Acts of Vengeance. Multi-part, multi-issue tie-ins. I mean, this stuff went nuts. So Jim really uh, started a trend that that Marvel has never looked back on. That, that they've, they've gone forward to this day. So he teams with Steve Mazarski, who's got the money. And Steve Mazarski had come up to me and introduced himself to myself and the guys at Image when we were signing at the infam infamous Image Tent, of which I will cover in another episode. Uh, the Image Tent was in Chicago to get all of us under one roof. They said, we will give you your own dedicated like circus tent. And it was uh, in July of 1992. And uh, I was there two of the three days. And we signed like crazy all day long, except for Jim Lee, who was having a baby. His wife was expecting, and so he stayed home, understandably. But you got Todd, myself, Mark, Eric, 
uh, Jim Valentino, and I can't remember if Wills was there, but it was all of us. It was a blast. But Mazarski uh, came into the tent, introduced himself, uh, you know, had some, uh, you know, was very gracious in saying, hey, I'm Steve Mazarski. I represent Valiant. We admire what you're doing. And, you know, da, da, da. It was very polite, very kind. And so when it came time to contact him, I, I had had that one meeting. I had had that one FaceTime. So I saw Bloodshot and immediately said, well, you know, Valiant's kind of got some juice in the market. And uh, Youngblood is blowing up top-selling comics. So I pulled that card out of my wallet. Oh, Steve Mazarski, Valiant. Okay, dialed it up. I'm sitting at my drawing board in my uh, first Extreme Studios office near the college. Marat's there. Dan Frag is there. Richard Horry's there. Uh, maybe Chap Yap's on the way, but it, this is this is summer, late summer of of '92. And I said, "Hey, Steve, it's Rob Liefeld." He's like, "Rob, what can I do for you?" I said, "Steve, you got this new book called coming out called Bloodshot." He goes, "Yeah, but we haven't published it yet." I go, "I know. It looks cool." I said, "I just I think the visual is great. It really speaks to me." Hey, would you be up for a crossover? And I and 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 I had already written down the slogan. I had had my, you know, my my marketing hat was on, and I said, "Steve." Young blood, bloodshot. Young blood, bloodshot. This blood's for you, okay? Because in in the '80s and the '90s, the biggest beer campaign ever was for Budweiser, and this bud's for you, okay? They'd do their jingle on every every Sunday, every football game, every Saturday college football game, all the basketball games, all the baseball games. This bud's for you, okay? This bud's for you. It was just, you know, maybe the best slogan ever. This bud's for you. Um, and, and sold them a whole lot of beer. All right. So I'm going, I can play off that. And this blood's for you, young blood, bloodshot. And it's like, oh, that sounds interesting. You know what? Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll see about making that work. Okay, Rob, that sounds really good. Well, I, I don't think he was very excited by it because the next time I hear from him is through Jim Lee, who calls me and says, Hey, Steve Mazarski called me, which I'm like, that's weird. Why did Steve Mazarski call Jim Lee about me with my creator-owned title wanting to cross over with their Valiant comic book? Um, by this time, I, I, I failed to mention that Jim Shooter has been ceremoniously removed. He had an ugly divorce in uh, just a year and a half into the company, uh, some sort of throwdown with power play with Mazarski, and Mazarski showed him the door. And now Bob Layton, who um, I haven't given enough lip service to, but Bob did like... Hundreds of great comics I loved. He was either a story guy and an inker or just an inker or on Hercules, which he really uh, made like in the same way that I'm talking about Frank on Daredevil and Walt on Thor. Like Bob Layton did this really cool take on Hercules. It was kind of funny. It was a humorous take on, you know, the son of Zeus in the Marvel Universe. And he did two really successful uh miniseries that he wrote, penciled, and inked, because he's really capable. He's, I mean, really good, fun style, and one of the best inkers of all time. Um, inked all my favorites, slicked them up, made them look great, whether it's John Byrne, George Perez, uh, and everybody in between. Uh, and he penciled and inked himself. He, he Great style, big fan. Loved Bob's stuff. Uh, night and day from what me and my guys, my peers were doing, but uh, uh, a, a really successful artist of the Bronze Age. Good artist, period. But just his stuff really sung and, and in that in that era. He did an extended run on Iron Man. 
the first guy that made Iron Man's armor look super shiny and wet and chrome. And that, that was, he was kind of a, a contemporary to a guy named Terry Austin, who I think is one of the best inkers of all space and time. But Bob is up there. Someday I'll have to do a podcast just on the great inkers and finishers of our age. Um, these guys who are just as capable in terms of drawing as the artists they were inking, but they weren't storytellers who could tell comic pages on a schedule. So they were held in reserve as guys who would finish the art, polish it, and and make it look as as good as possible. He came from Dick Giordano and Neil Adams Continuity Studios. So Bob had a really great artistic uh, 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 resume and had done great work. Iron Man and Hercules were the two giant uh, pieces on his resume. But now he has emerged also at Valiant as as a bit as an important executive under Mazarski. Um, maybe he had a piece of the company. I, I think I, I think he told me that he did. I think he came over to, and, and, and had a piece of Valiant, but he was suddenly kind of second in command. There was Steve Mazarski who kind of stepped out behind the curtain, and, and I didn't cover the fact that Steve was an entertainment lawyer, that uh, his biggest client was Aerosmith. He represented Aerosmith from early on in their career, and Aerosmith in the late 80s had a giant, roaring comeback in the 70s my sister is seven years older than me. She would drive around in a car, and I would love to drive with my sister because she played all the cool rock music. I got to know. Um, and if I say some names and they become radical weirdos now, like Ted Nugent, that's, you know, I only know Ted Nugent as the guy that was playing Cat Scratch Fever on the 8-track in my sister's car. It has nothing to do with politics, okay? Ted Nugent was a legitimate rocker before he was anything else, okay? He's a hardcore rocker. His posters were in guys' rooms, girls' rooms, big-time rock and roller. Ted Nugent, um, ACDC, the Eagles, the Rolling Stones, Queen, Journey. Uh, I came to know all of them, and most of all, Aerosmith. Their Toys in the Attic album was a monster hit, and my sister played it over and over and over. And I, I again, she's seven years older than me. It, she, she, I, I got so much of my rock and roll history from my sister. When all my other friends were listening to Christian albums, because their parents... <laughs> Only listen to Christian music. My sister was a full-on rock and roll, like she rock and rolled, man. And there was eight tracks all over her car. And so we'd always pop one in and Peter Frampton, all this stuff. Okay, so I've totally aged myself right here. But Steve Mazarski represented Aerosmith, who had then kind of had like, after the 70s burnout of Aerosmith, they kind of went away for like five, six years. And then they roared back when they teamed with Run DMC on, on the rap rock merger of 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 walk this way because walk this way was a big big track on the toys in the attic 70s album but now it's 1985 1986 and their team with run dmc so aerosmith blows up so i can't even imagine how successful that was for them because they just had hit album after hit album after hit album loving an elevator um just uh, janie's got a gun i mean it, it's just ridiculous that they, they achieved all new like levels of fame and mazarski was their entertainment lawyer so he knew his way around the business. So now he's got this comic book label. He's sent Jim Shooter packing. And Jim Lee is calling me as a result of me calling him. And Jim's like, hey, I was talking to Mazarski. And uh, he, he said you called him up and, and wanted to do a crossover. And and and, and he, he thought, well, well, why don't more of us do a crossover? We can make like an official image and Valiant crossover. And I'm not going to lie to you. At that point, my heart sank. Good God, I just wanted to do a one shot. I just wanted to do Bloodshot. And young blood, this blood's for you. Okay, that's it. Guy with guns and 
cool action with my cool action team and I could entertain you for 48 pages and give you some fun visuals, some cool character interaction at the end, you know, be like the be like the Batman Hulk or the Superman Spider-Man X-Men Titans team ups of my youth. Like two different labels put their characters together and they part ways at the end and maybe you'll see them again, maybe you won't, but you'll have that one cool, you know, standalone. Well, like the train left the station without me. Jim's like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm in on this. And, and, and so is Mark. I've talked to Mark because Mark Silvestri for a brief period uh, was in the same studio as Jim. Mark moved from his Malibu pad to La Jolla, San Diego area and, and, and shacked up with Jim in the first iteration of uh, Wildstorm before it was called Wildstorm. It was called Homage Studios, Homage Studios. So they were, uh, uh, Mark was under, under there with, um, with Jim and with Scott Williams and with a guy named Joe Chido. And eventually they were starting to, you know, get new talent like J. Scott Campbell. Homage had guys like J. Scott Campbell, Brett Booth. They were building out the studio. And, and again, Mark, Mark was, uh, was there with Jim and, and they were kind of the, the, the primary guys behind Homage Studios at the time. And, and so Jim is calling me and he says, Hey, Rob, we talked to Mazarski, and he mentioned you were going to do this thing, and we thought maybe we could do, you know, something too, and we, we could all do something together. And I was like, man, I just really wanted to do my thing, right? Okay, so, you know, but hey, it's a chance for something bigger and better, and why not? And now Jim's on board, and Mark's involved, and they don't have any specific, you know, ideas of what they're going to do. It's, it's like, Maybe Valiant and, and Image should get together and jam. Well, this went over like uh, a ton of bricks uh, with the rest of the owners. At we had an owners meeting uh, coming up, and and so there's all of us, except for Wills. It was uh, uh, Todd, Mark, Valentino, Larson, myself, Jim Lee. And when the subject comes up, Todd goes, "I'm out. I'm I'm not doing that." Why would we be with them? Valiant, Valiant. I, I, I don't understand. And I'm like, yeah, it's just kind of, kind of organically grew into something. And Jim's like, well, I think, I think it's a good idea. I think I'm gonna do it. And Mark's like, yeah, it'll be fun. Okay. And I'm like, oh, I kind of got the whole ball rolling. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm patient zero when it comes to this Valiant thing. And Eric's like, Ugh, I'm out. And Valentino's like, no, I have nothing to do with it. And again, Todd's like, nope, not me, bud. Uh, and, and Todd was really like, why, why are you doing this? Um, and it was like, I'm not even sure what I was doing anymore. I had, like, I was in for the one shot, right? But so now we're, you know, on, on, you know, deck to do this Valiant image crossover that involves Mark, Jim, and myself. Well, we don't really know what's going to go on or what's going to happen, but Mazarski says, look, we need to meet. We need to meet at like a, a neutral site and, uh, you know, we'll all kind of break the story together and uh, talk about what, what the possibilities because this could be huge, image and Valiant. And uh, Larry Martyr was just about to come on board as our publisher and he thought it was weird and he didn't think we should be doing it. And so, you know, Jim and Mark and I, I can't even really tell you why we were doing it. I think at the time I was stubborn. I'm like, 
I've already done a drawing of Shaft and Bloodshot together, so uh, that that I need to make this happen. I'm very stubborn that way. Once I've gone down the road, I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this, and you're like, No, Rob, you have a bunch of unfinished projects. I really don't. Not as much as you think. Um, I I I, I uh, if I can finish it, I will finish it. And 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 so in this case, I was gonna finish it. And I, I again, I don't understand what Jim and Mark's interest were because. Again, I had a very specific this bloods for you approach, right? So, uh, so the thing is, uh, we we went off and and met with them. Uh, maybe it was in St. Louis. Maybe it was around a diamond conference. I got to be honest. I just remember I was so not looking forward to this, and and I just remember we all went into the meeting room, and uh, we sat there with uh, Bob Layton and Steve Mazarski and. The other guy could have been, maybe it was Kevin Van Hook, I'm not sure. But it was me and, and Mark and Jim. And we talked about, well, let's talk about what could bring these universes together. And I got to be honest, I, I was like, I just need Youngblood and Bloodshot to have a team up. Well, Bob Layton had done his homework. He came with a uh, concept. He, I, I would say that more than anybody, the concept of Deathmate was... Uh, was his. He basically had this idea of this new kind of celestial being and this 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 mythology and that was bring this death mate and and then we could do these spin-off books. And you know what we did? We just kind of grinned and shook our heads and we were like, okay, image valiant, death mate, okay, let's let's retreat after this meeting and give each other notes and see where it goes from there. But Kind of the the basics of everything you saw in the Deathmate, um, the prologue. I don't know what we called it, but Barry Windsor Smith did a portion of it, and I did a portion of it with Prophet and the Berserkers, and and I think a kid from Harbinger. Um, and and uh, look, at the end of the day, uh, I think like there was going to be some valiant guys doing image characters, and we were going to do some valiant characters. So it seemed like it was fun. It didn't. It 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 uh. It wasn't like like the end-all, be-all, and it definitely wasn't what I had wanted, which was just my own little standalone one-shot, but I guess it got away from me in a big way. And, uh, and, and then it was decided that we'd all do, each company would do two crossovers. Is that right? I mean, we had Deathmate Red and Deathmate Black, and I'm not sure what they had, uh, but, but all I know is Deathmate Red outsold all of them. We had the highest sales, and People showed up and it ended up being fun because that's what matters at the end of the day. Is it, is it fun? <laughs> you guys know the motto, man. If it's not fun, why are you even doing it? Okay. Um, and uh, look, I also think Jack Kirby cracked this. I was telling my wife, who is always polite enough to not completely roll her eyes, like, oh my gosh, he's going to start talking comic books again. Trust me. And just as, as an aside here, the time you should feel the most bad for my wife was uh, Daredevil uh, season two on Netflix when Electra came in. We went to this, uh, at least I was smart to take her to this really nice five-star restaurant and we are just having a good time. Joy's got the wine. We got, you know, she she's eating good, you know, surf and turf and I'm eating some some salmon, but I got her right where I want her. I go, Joy, you just have to, you just have to understand. My wife's name is Joy. Joy, you know, when Frank Miller came on Daredevil, and Electra and the hand and and you know Ben Yurick and and oh my gosh and stick and stick 
they introduced Daredevil's, you know, the guy who trained him. And I think she was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. Wow, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. And, this, and, and Scott Glenn is playing Stick. He, he was already introduced in season one. And you don't understand how excited I am about all this. And uh, she was just totally like, okay, like we're doing comic book talk for an hour. Um, you know, uh, uh, if it's not fun, why are you doing it? But I told her just recently, the other day, Again, and she 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 now it's like I, I Rob's got these down to about ten minute sound bites now, so I don't have to completely subjugate myself to this comic book talk. But I said, Joy Jack Kirby figured it out. Once he left Marvel, he never worked with another writer ever again. He wrote Commandy, New Gods, Mister Miracle, Forever People, Black Panther, Machine Man, Captain America, The Eternals. I'm missing some. The Demon. He wrote them all himself. He decided he would decide what was fun and draw it, and it was the best. And and he kicked all sorts of ass because Jack Kirby cracked the code of, but is it fun? And I dare you to look at the new gods and Darkseid and the Forever People and Mr. Miracle and Big Barter and Oberon and all of them and say, was this guy not having the best fun of any time in his life? Um, even now in the Eternals, you know? Ask, ask Angelina Jolie if she's having fun being in a big, giant, $200 million Marvel movie, okay? Jack knew what he was doing. So... To me, I'm like, we're going to make this fun no matter what it is. But I had zero to do with the overall overarching concept of why the two universes merged. All I know is that eventually I saw Mark Silvestri draw Supreme. And I think that was probably the biggest bell ringing of, of the event. I was like, I saw Mark Silvestri draw Supreme. You know, I guess I could have asked him, but it was rad. Um, great, great. You know, the crossover was just part of it, though. The, the other aspect was that, and this is key to why Steve Mazarski is an entertainment lawyer. He goes, he calls us up and he says, hey, I, I think we can go something bigger than this. Now, mind you, I had started my, my first year, once I assembled my perfect, awesome, extreme studios, uh, 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 the, the, the first wave, which is myself and Danny Mickey and Norm Ratman and Chap Yap and Jeff Matsuda and Dan Frigg and Marat. And if I'm leaving somebody out, it's not on purpose. But we did the Extreme Studios tour. I created a tour book. I worked with a designer. We had a pro pro professional photographer. We, you know, took everyone's photos, Marat and Dan Frego, who looked like they were in a boy band. And we all kind of you know, it was it was it was putting a spotlight on the creator as much as the characters, and we booked some big gigs, and you know, we had some giant six seven hour signings in New York City, in Chicago, we did two giant signings, one at a mall, we did Mile High Comics. The, the Extreme Studios tour was monster. We sold the tour books, we had the comic books. People were going crazy. Well, Mazarski says, "I saw what you did with the Extreme Studios tour. That was pretty great. Let's do." the Deathmate tour and put everybody on buses. And I want you to talk to a guy. Now, when I did the Extreme Studios tour, we just flew there. We did literally, we did Anaheim, we did Chicago, we did New York, and we did Denver with the Mile High Comics. We did four stops. And then I guess you do, we did some little mini ones locally outside of the bigger, you know, uh, LA one. But th this is like, we're going to break everybody into groups. I'm going to do bus tours. And because I got the guy that manages Aerosmith's tour and he's off right now and I want you to meet him. So this is where I meet the man who you're going to only know by one name because that's all I remember him by. But his name was Derek. Derek. And he had the, the, the I, I don't know if it's Scottish, Irish, English. I could, did, I don't understand. I just know what he sounded like. And he comes in with his 
silver long hair, kind of mid, mid, mid shoulder. And he goes, Rob, it's Derek. I don't want to talk to you about this tour. It's going to be great. Oh, you don't even understand all the fun we've had with Aerosmith. And I see what's going on with this world here, with these comic books and these fans. And I think it's perfect. So, you know, let's get going, you and me, and let's work this out. And he literally comes to my Anaheim studio, and he lives in L.A., and he's he's game. He's got his leather jacket. He's rock and roll. And all he wants to tell me about is all the sex and drugs that all the different rock acts. Who do you want to know about? You want to know about David Lee Roth? You want to know about White Snake? You want to know, you know about, uh, about Aerosmith? And he was just telling us all the stories of all the giant party buses. Well, he decides that we're going to get these deluxe buses that everyone meets at in a certain location. And like the leg that I was on was in the Midwest. We went from Wisconsin through Illinois and ended up at the Chicago um, Comic-Con. So it was kind of like a, a lead up to a convention with a couple big stops. And, um, you know, some Valiant guys, some Marvel guys, we were all on this giant bus sharing time, sharing space. Um, they were literally rock and roll buses with the big, you know, kind of living quarters, the giant bedrooms. I mean, it was crazy. And it, I, I'm this was fun to partake in because, you know, we're rolling up to these comic stores in these giant silver double-decker buses, and we're walking out like comic book rock stars. Not by my design, but by Dedek, Dedek's design. And he was on each tour, each leg of each tour with us. Whether it was Marat, and Dan Frega, and, and I think Stephen Platt was on one leg. Uh, Mark Silvestri was with Dan and Marat. Um, I think maybe I was with Joe Casada. I don't know what's going on. I, Deathmate is a giant blur to me. I just know the stores we did. I know the people that we signed books for. I know the excitement that it generated. And it was all based on this Deathmate. And, and that's, Mazarski's like, we have to have the books. We have to have the books. And I'm like, we just need a launch book. The launch book, Deathmate, the, the prologue um, with the silver... Uh, cover uh, was the book that we launched with Invaliant. Hey, they had their, you know, they had their ducks in a row. I think Evel Goucher, that's his name, and Don Pearl, and they had their books ready to go. So there was stuff, there was product. Um, I did half of the launch book, and Jim Lee and Barry Windsor Smith did the other half. And so we all showed up, and, and it was a way to get us to all sign just various, you know, image and Valiant comic books or Marvel stuff that we all worked on. It was a giant jamming session. But during one of these legs, and during this time that we were kind of merged, which which was almost an entire year, given the time that we agreed to do this to the time the final issue came out, uh, we I, I visited the Valiant offices. And in the Valiant offices, when we went in, it, you know, it was it was in an, it was not in a great building in New York City. Marvel and DC, those were great buildings, great historic buildings. Valiant had rented some space in kind of a dodgy, uh, on the dodgy side of town, in a dodgy uh, building. And, and when we got off the elevator, I mean, it was like you were in the middle of the bullpen, like these really tiny elevators and you suddenly get off and very uncomfortable, very tiny space. And again, extreme studios was this giant, like, you know, 8,000 square feet in orange County, so much room to rub shoulders. And this is like, there's a bunch of, you know, those like desks you had in school with the, they were, they were, they were school desks, like you had in grade school, like that you could lift the wooden, you know, desktop and put your stuff in and then close it. And you had the, the open, you know, panel with the, that functioned as, I guess, your drawer space. Some of you may have had drawers. I, I'm in the 70s. That, they hadn't functioned that yet. 
uh, it, it was like a uh, like a compartment area that you stored your books and supplies in and then you had your desktop and sometimes you could open that desktop like a giant flap and get into your stuff and then close it okay valiant was like and they were all like buttressed up against each other one after the other and i remember joe casada had just moved over from marvel to work over there he was like their biggest name launching exo man of war and later ninjack and stuff but uh, it was just like everyone just seemed sad and 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 that's my you know, I, I don't think they were paid well. I, I don't think they were treated great, but it was part of this giant uh, comic book machinery that they had made or they made their, um, the, 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 the stuff that Jim Shooter had established is the stuff that they were still doing after he left. These six panel, eight panel grids. The splashiest book was the Casada stuff. When he arrived from Marvel, making a splash at Marvel, his stuff was big, splashy, Whatever they paid him, they got it all back and more. Joe was a huge uh, boon for them. If you remember the wraparound cover to Exo Manowar, the Ninjak stuff, I mean, Joe was big time. He understood the language of fun, splashy comic books back when he used to make them because he doesn't make them anymore and he hasn't for, holy shit, for, for a long, again, remember that peer group I talk about that doesn't make comics anymore? I'm looking at you, Todd. I'm looking at you, Jim. I'm looking at you, Mark. I'm looking at you, Joe, right? Okay. I mean, honestly, it's like Eric Larson and myself are the only guys who still regularly make comics because we literally like cannot not make the comics. It's in, it's so in the DNA. We cannot not make the comics. Don't tell me about plotting and, and inking. No, I'm talking about I pencil pages. I start at the top left. I work down to the top right. Okay, so these guys, back back when Joe made comics, he made good comics, okay? And uh, he was a big deal at Valiant. But I'm going to tell you, there was a period after Valiant that I thought maybe I should get together with Jim Shooter. And maybe we should do a cool run on Youngblood. And maybe that's going to be like the equivalent, I'll be inspired as the Avengers books that Shooter did. But uh, in the couple times that I had spoken to Jim he was no longer in the space that produced my favorite Avengers comics. He was more of a thoughtful writer and had slowed stuff down. But nonetheless, we agreed to meet. He was doing a signing at Mile High Comics, which had moved to Anaheim, had a California location, and it was a gigantic, spectacular location. Chuck Rosansky, the kingpin of comics, just in the best possible way, understood the showmanship of comics and had had, had opened... A, a bunch of great stores in Orange County and, and Jim Shooter was starting, was, was uh, going to sign there. So on a Saturday morning before his signing, I remember Dan Fraga and I went, because Dan, I think, was living with me at the time in my house. Uh, and we went to meet with Jim Shooter and have breakfast. And it was so fun. And Jim, obviously a very smart guy, very knowledgeable guy. But when it came to asking him, I said, Jim, why are the Valiant books all grids? Like, why don't you open it up, like open up a can of whoop-ass on the page like we do with the double pagers and the big splashes and we made comics fun and 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 we got the results. People like, to this day, when people bring me those comics, I see the electricity in their lo- their eyes. I feel the electricity when I created it. We were mutually jonesing off a period where there was a certain amount of work being done that was exciting, you know, the, the comic book electorate. And they elected us as their favorites, okay? So I asked Jim and man, as calmly as he was eating those scrambled eggs, he goes, Rob, I don't know if you noticed, but we were uh, dealing with some old veterans or a bunch of young, untested talent. Guys you never heard of. A lot of young talents. Um, 
He said, Rob, it's better that they draw small than that they draw big. I'm better off getting small drawings out of them than bigger drawings because, as you know, doing big, splashy images uh, takes a certain panache. Um, he goes, it wasn't the first thing you did. You have to kind of grow into it. And I have a bunch of basically rookies or I have older guys like Don Perlin. And what's better for me and what was better for me when he, when 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 uh, Valiant launched was that these books be more contained. And let's, let's say they're not the best artists. So wouldn't it be better, this is his own words, to have a bunch of ugly little drawings than a bunch of big ugly drawings. And Dan Frag and I looked at like, wow, that's like a math equation. Like, dude, I was not expecting just the honesty and just the, 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 the straight shooting of, I guess I'd rather have small compromised drawings than big compromised drawings. Made all the sense in the world to me. I got it immediately, immediately. So that explains some of the, 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 the valiant approach to me. But uh, I'll, I'll close today with this. Uh, when I was doing Deathmate, it was agreed that Bob Layton would ink me and I just didn't enjoy his inks over me. He had done a couple pages and I didn't really want to see any more because I really cared about every line I put on and Bob is a great artist and, and I was doing great work. We just weren't a great mix. And he loves to tell this story, but I, I need to tell you the way it is. He loves to tell people, oh, I had to fly to Anaheim to make sure Rob did the pages. No, he got there and realized the pages were done. I was trying to have as many inked by my own inking crew, Danny, Mickey, and John Sabal, and leave as little left for him to ink because I just didn't think we were a good match. He's a super talented guy. I love his work. We just didn't merge great together. We didn't gel as best as, I, as possibly as I would have wanted. It was more of an old school brush line when all my guys were whooping those crow quills around like Terry Austin and Scott Williams, okay? And uh, so even the uh, the half that I did with uh, of the Deathmate, the, the prologue, the first one out the door, um, and if, I, if it's called Deathmate Primer or whatever, I'm saying it wrong, but the first one, I did Prophet and Berserkers. Dan Panosian inks most, most of that, or I ink it. And, uh, and then when it came time for... Uh, he, he insisted that there be more uh, pages that he did, so I had to reserve a certain amount of pages for him. And so I left him about six pages to do. And they came out okay. You know, they're not my, my favorite pages, but they came out okay. And uh, at the end of the day, um, it wasn't that I wasn't doing the work. I just didn't want to gel with Bob, and I and I figured if I could control the art, and at the end of the day, it didn't, at the end of the day, it didn't matter. He's a He's getting a he's got a piece of the company, so he's getting part of the profits of the book. It wasn't about you know not getting page rate or royalty. Again, Bob had told us he got a piece of Valiant, so um, you know it, it, it's not that I wasn't doing the work. It was that I was avoiding giving him the work, which is completely different in and of itself. He flies to Anaheim, tells us he's coming in to get the pages. He and Bob it was a dapper guy, all always one of the most the best looking GQ guys. I had such a good time hanging with him in, in Saudi Arabia a year ago too, I should mention. In November 2019, I went to Saudi Arabia, last, you know, I mean, just literally not even a year ago. And Bob, I had just done an entire, done, run an entire interview with Bob about his Bronze Age work coming up, inking Joe Staten and George Perez and John Byrne and John Romita Jr. and all the stuff that he did. And I just had such a great appreciation for him. And it was great that we hadn't seen each other in 20 years when we got to sit and laugh. And Bob did really good at Saudi Arabia and I did really good at Saudi Arabia. We were kind of the two chief artists there and it was great to hang out with him. But back in 1993, I was absolutely avoiding 
um, collaborating with him because I didn't like the results. And uh, you can say, well, Rob, you weren't being a professional. Okay, I wasn't being a professional. I ran my own studio. I had my own comics label. I wanted to determine how my work looked. And uh, ultimately, again, the pages that we did do are fun. Um, they're not my favorite work, but they came out interesting. And, and, and I'm glad in retrospect that we got to jam together. And uh, again, Bob is a monster talent, but he showed up in Anaheim with his suit on, ready to receive. He thought the way to get this done was to you know, fly. And I think he loved, I think he was in love with the story. Like I'm going to fly to Orange County and get those pages from Rob. Well, he did. Half of them were already inked by Danny Mickey and John Sabal, myself, Dan Panosian, Art to Bear. I mean, when you have the greatest inking core in the modern history of comics, as I did, Art to Bear, Dan Panosian, John Sabal, Danny Mickey, all these guys are titans of, of the inking world. I mean, Jim had Scott Williams and I had four Scott Williams. Like I, we had extreme hung itself on its inking. We could finish pages like a mofo. I mean, my guys could, I mean, Marlo, Norm Ratmond. Um, we didn't just stop Larry Stucker. I'm, I'm short, shorting some guys here, like literally Norm Ratmond, Danny Mickey, Art to Bear, Dan Panosian, Marlo Alkaiza, uh, Larry Stucker, Jaime Mendoza. We are the greatest inking core ever. It is my pride and joy of extreme that we brought all these guys under one umbrella and they got great instruction from guys like Dan and from Art to Bear and they all branched out to become the greatest inkers of the last 20 years. And uh, But anyway, that is the, 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 the wrap up on the Deathmate production. The tour was fun. We got to meet so much of you guys. That cool book was made. It mimicked the Extreme Studios book that I had made a year prior. But um, it was on a bigger, better scale because, of course, you're getting Joe Quesada, Dan, uh, 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 Jim Lee, and Mark Silvestri, and, and myself, and all our studio guys jumped on board because on Jim's Deathmate Black, you had first appearance of Gen 13. You had J. Scott Campbell. You had Brett Booth con contributing. Everybody had a good time. A lot of fun. Good memories. I didn't get to the second subject. We just stuck with Valiant and Deathmate and, and uh, worked that all out. So that's how this Bloods for You became this monster multi-hundred page event comic that, uh, you know, and when it fell behind and got late, of course, the scolder in chief, Todd McFarlane's like, I told you, I, I, I told you not to do the, the, the Valiant, the Valiant. And uh, yeah, Valiant, he, he wasn't having any of it. Todd's a... He's crazy. He's, he's, he's a crazy customer. I, I love remembering these times that we had together. But uh, yeah, Valiant Deathmate. What a weird story. Uh, one team up, one call to Steve Mazarski became this giant group effort. I look back at those pages when I, I grabbed my Deathmate read the other day. And I think I did the first 22 pages with the futuristic Youngblood, which had Bloodshot in it. And arguably, Bloodshot barely does anything in my comic. Because at that time, I've it's it's a year and a half later. I don't have the same Jones. Now I'm just... I'm going to make this really cool futuristic Youngblood story because the Deathmate part of it put everything in the future and it wasn't the bloodshot that I had intended to draw in the first place. So what a what a crazy time. This madness, this incoherentness of Deathmate is, is kind of part of why the 90s were so freaking weird and why the 90s were so freaking awesome. Deathmate, Valiant, This Blood's For You, Jim Shooter, I'd rather have small, ugly drawings than big, ugly drawings. Maybe my favorite quote of the 90s. Anyway, guys, I am on social media at Rob Liefeld on Instagram, at Robert Liefeld on Twitter, Robert on Twitter, Rob on Instagram, Liefeld on both. Got the blue checks. I'm real. Don't accept 
substitutes. They're out there. Uh, you guys, thanks for hanging with me. We're going to do this again. Uh, and, and as always, stay safe, take care of yourself, and we will talk again real soon. Thank you.